Well, it's good to be with all of you on this beautiful day out there. A couple of days ago, my wife Sandy and I were reminiscing about um, our half century together. And we were thinking about how we started off as, um, as two scared kids who were in love with Jesus and were trying to figure out how we were going to live out this life together. It's been a lot that, um, that's happened since then, a lot of water under the bridge. But um, now we're two dented and banged up old people <laughs> who are still in love with Jesus and still trying to figure out how to live out this life together. I found myself echoing um, King David's words from Psalm 16. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. So in spite of all the pain and all the difficulty that King David had endured, um, he could see a loving father's hand in all of that. And so his story was beautiful to him. And, And I can say that about my own story too. There's a lot of things that I would have changed in the moment. Um, but looking back from here, it is a, it's a beautiful inheritance. King David said something else in that same psalm. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So I'm sure that he had specific people in mind when, when he said that. He was, uh, he was probably thinking about his mighty men guys who would gladly take an arrow for him. Uh, He was probably thinking about his amazing wife, Abigail, Uh, probably thinking about uh, Jonathan, Saul's son. Um, So just for a second, look around you this morning. I mean, really do it. Look around, (laughs) okay? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So if God gave me my choice to go anywhere and walk out life with anybody, I'd want to be doing it with you guys. See, you are the saints in the land, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. So with God's help, let's walk this out together. Well, um, Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. But this morning we don't want to just talk about the Holy Spirit. We want to meet with Him. Um, We want to invite Him to come and to manifest Himself here today. So if you're in need of anything coming in here, physical healing, encouragement, um, if you're struggling with any kind of addiction, we're setting aside some time after the service to um, pray for people. And, and I would just invite you now to, um, to be thinking about coming up here and, um, and receiving whatever the Lord has for you. Well, many of you know that um, when I was a high school senior, I was apprehended by the Lord um, during an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the late 1960s that came to be known as the Jesus Movement. Most of us in the early days of that outpouring were completely unchurched. 
Uh, we came to Jesus without a lot of preconceived ideas about what God would and wouldn't do. And maybe because we were new to the Bible, we just took the things that we read there at face value and we experienced God's presence in some dramatic and amazing ways. I saw many things that I can only describe as miraculous. Well, today I love praying for people with headaches and backaches and carpal tunnel syndrome, and sometimes they even get healed. <laughs> um, but 50 years ago, there was a simplicity um, to our faith, maybe even a naivete, that, um, that really emboldened us to pray some really big prayers. So when the 13-year-old girl suffering from polio came up for prayer on crutches and braces, it didn't seem like an unusual thing for us to ask God to completely heal her. Um, and as we prayed, she began to cry out in pain because those braces had been built for twisted legs and God was healing hers. So we got the braces off of her and she skipped across the room to her friends, quite literally walking and leaping and praising God. Um, our God truly is an awesome God. Early on in my walk with the Lord, I remember meeting an older pastor who extended his friendship to me. He was sympathetic to what he saw God doing with us, and um, I think he understood that we needed some help. <laughs> and, um, and one day he showed me his library, which floor to ceiling, the walls were just lined with books, many of them very old. And I remember him saying, um, you know, take whatever you want here. And so I was like a kid in a candy store. And there were, there were several sets of Bible commentaries. And I remember wondering, how would I know which ones to take and which ones really weren't good to take? And um, so I finally decided to read what each of the authors had to say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit from the verses that we're reading right now from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, uh, and then make a decision. So in volume after volume, I saw the same thing. The gifts of the Holy Spirit ended uh, with the apostles. And, uh, you know, they all petered out when Peter petered out. And, um, and I thought, I'm seeing God do miraculous things all the time here. And so I, I didn't take those. But then I tried one more. It had been written in Scotland in 1871. And the author said this. These gifts seem to have disappeared from the church today. However, you must ask whether it's because God no longer desires to grant these gifts or because he's having difficulty finding those willing to receive the gifts that he's offering. And I thought, I like this guy. <laughs> you know, I think he was right. So today, 152 years after that commentary was penned, we want to be a people who will respond to the Apostle Paul's call to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So let's pray, and then we'll dig into these verses this morning. Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who is near, not a God who is far away. We thank you, Lord, that you, um, Jesus, that you sent the Holy Spirit to us. Father, that you sent Jesus to us. Lord, we're so, we're so grateful for the ways that you have loved us. Lord, I pray that as we look into your word this morning, that you would give us seeing eyes and hearing ears, and Lord, that we could respond to you. Help us, Father. It's in Jesus' beautiful name that I ask it. Amen. Amen. Last week, we looked at the first three of the gifts of the Holy Spirit there in chapter 12. 
um, the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge, and the gift of faith. Today we'll be talking about miracles, gifts of healing, and distinguishing between spirits. I think it's hard for us to talk about gifts of the Spirit without us somehow in our minds imagining Christmas presents or, um, or birthday gifts. But as Dave said last, um, a couple of weeks ago, that's not really what's going on here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Back in verse 7, Paul had written, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. And notice that the word spirit there is capitalized. And it's capitalized because Paul is talking about the person of the Holy Spirit. Paul says that these gifts are actually manifestations of the Holy Spirit. These gifts are not weird, indefinite presence that God is pushing our direction. They're actually expressions of the third person of the Trinity, who is co-equal with the Father and with Jesus. We know that God is omnipresent, so he's always everywhere all at once. Uh, he's not a distant God. But most times, we can't detect him with our five senses. We just can't. But by his gifts, the Holy Spirit is revealing himself to us in our time-space world. When he heals someone, as we pray for them, he is showing up himself to do the healing. And he's demonstrating his love for us. So here's the first thing for us to remember this morning. God doesn't give us abstract things called gifts. He comes himself. Okay? He's coming himself. He is the gift. But he also makes us co-workers with him in delivering the gift. We get to deliver those gifts of the Holy Spirit to one another. See, we get to play. So let's look at this first manifestation of the Spirit from our verses this morning, the gift of miracles. And let's start by looking at a few of the miracles that are recorded in the New Testament. Uh, John chapter 2, Jesus changed water into wine at a wedding. Acts chapter 16, Paul cast a spirit of divination out of a servant girl. Luke chapter 5, Jesus caused a great catch of fish for Peter and Andrew. Acts chapter 9, Peter raised Tabitha from the dead. Mark chapter 1, during a church service, Jesus cast an unclean spirit out of a man. I'll bet that thing shook things up a little bit in there. Um, Matthew chapter 8, Jesus calmed a storm that was about to capsize the disciples' boat. And then in Luke chapter 10, 72 of Jesus' disciples healed and cast demons out of people. And we could go on and on. There are very many more. But notice this. As a result of each of those miracles, two things happened. First, people's hearts were turned towards God and they began to praise Him. And then secondly... Uh, the people themselves were ministered to. They were helped. Does that sound familiar to you? It sounds a lot to me like fulfilling the great commandment to love God and to love people. And that's what these miracles were doing. They were pointing people to God and people were being loved personally. Uh, we talked a few weeks ago about how that's what this letter of correction written to the church at Corinth was all about. It was realigning their trajectory towards more fully loving God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving their neighbor as themselves. And here in chapter 12, it's no different. Paul's still talking about the same thing. But what actually constitutes a miracle? Well, let's look for a minute at something called common grace. The term common grace is not found in the Bible, 
but the concept is, is firmly rooted there. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5, verse 45. For God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. That says you don't have to love Jesus in order to get sunshine and rain. Uh, you know, those things are God's common graces to us. We're all together on this planet, just tilted just so on its axis. We're 93 million miles out from the sun. And because of that, believers in Jesus and those that don't believe in him at all have just the right balance of oxygen so that the air neither suffocates us um, nor asphyxiates us. The fact that every one of us experiences that is another example of God's common grace. Probably the greatest example of common grace is found in Colossians 1. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So for every tongue and tribe, for those that are uh, struggling to do good and those that are intent on doing evil, Jesus holds everything together for all of us. See, that's God's common grace to us. But a miracle, on the other hand, is like an interruption in that common grace. Maybe we could talk about miracles in terms of uncommon graces. See, uncommon graces. Miracles are outbreaks of God's power in our common grace world. The Greek phrase from which we get our word miracle literally means workings of powers. And that's a double plural. Remember about that, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a minute when we look at one other double plural, gifts of healings, okay? Um, actually, all nine of the gifts um, listed there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 could be described as miracles. Are healings miraculous? Sure. How about word of knowledge? Absolutely. Um, when someone is raised from the dead, is that a miracle, or is that just the ultimate in a gift of healing? How about, yes, it's both. Um, are all of these gifts are gifts that the Holy Spirit is manifesting or revealing himself in a moment of our time. And in his kindness, he can show up and do whatever he wants to, whenever he wants to. Well, the second manifestation or appearing of the Holy Spirit that we want to talk about today is what Paul calls gifts of healings that other double plural. So why did Paul use the plural form, both talking about miracles and healings? Well, one answer can be found back in, in verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. It's for the common good. What that means in a very real sense is that none of these gifts actually belong to you or to me. Even if I cooperate with the Holy Spirit in delivering a gift of healing, that healing is from God to that person, and it's for the common good. If I pray for someone, they get healed. Who has the gift of healing? Me? I didn't. All I did was took a gift from the Lord and gave it to a person who needed to be healed. They have the gift of healing, see? Um, now, God may use me to deliver one gift more than another. And, and I, I, I mean, I can just see in my life for the last 54 years now that the gift that he most often gives me to deliver is a gift of teaching. But that doesn't mean that I can't give a word of prophecy or pray for someone who's sick. He can, he can deliver any number of gifts through any of us. So I think there's a good biblical case to be made 
for all the gifts being available all the time to all of us. Okay? Um, yes, it will be at the Holy Spirit's initiation, but God has provided us with a toolbox of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and the most important gift in that box is the one that's needed in the moment. Okay? So a second thing for us to remember is this. The Holy Spirit manifests himself. He appears for the common good. Well, let's look at the role of faith in healing. We can certainly find many instances where Jesus spoke to people about their faith. To two blind men, he said, according to your faith, be it done to you. To the woman who had the 12-year discharge of blood, he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. So it would appear in both of those cases that it was the faith of the one receiving healing that facilitated that healing. But in Luke chapter 5, we find a little bit different, uh, different scenario. Beginning in verse 17, on one of those days as he was teaching, the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, man, your sins are forgiven you. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Now, two things to notice here. First, verse 17 tells us that the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal. It's really important for us to understand that Jesus was a man under authority. He was only doing those things that he saw the Father doing. He wasn't healing on demand. Uh, he wasn't healing by his own initiative. And we won't be either as we minister the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Then secondly, it was the faith of the paralytic's friends that they demonstrated by tearing up the roof that Jesus commended. So though the paralytic may have had a role in that faith equation, it was the friend's faith that Jesus mentioned. Then we have the incident in the city of Nain where Jesus sees a widow walking alongside her dead son who is being carried out for burial. Jesus stopped the procession, laid his hand on the boy, and completely redirected that funeral service by raising him from the dead. There's no indication that that woman had asked Jesus for anything. In fact, there's no indication that that woman even knew who Jesus was. Uh, we know for certain that the boy wasn't exercising any faith. Um, so apparently it was Jesus' faith that brought the boy back. The point is that where faith is concerned, there is no formula. There just is no formula. Now I want to say, I say that to say this. As we pray for people and sometimes don't see an immediate answer, we need to be very, very careful about assuming anything about anyone's lack of faith. Okay? Jesus said to ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. There are three answers that he may give. Yes, no, and let's wait on that a little bit. And those are all legitimate answers from God. I prayed over one person for 48 years before I saw any movement or any answer to those prayers. We need to keep it in sharp focus that our part is to simply ask in faith. 
The answers are all up to him. Okay, well, let's move on and look at our last manifestation of the Holy Spirit, discerning or distinguishing between spirits. Why is it that we need this gift of distinguishing between spirits anyway? Well, John tells us in his first epistle, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Now, what are these multiple spirits that John is talking about here? Well, first we have the Holy Spirit, um, the third person of the Trinity, God himself. Then there are angels. Those angels are, um, are ministering spirits sent to minister on behalf of the saints. That's what Hebrews says. And then there are other spirits too. The Bible talks about the spirits of human beings. The, and the human spirit is an amazing thing. Back in Genesis 1, we learned that God created Adam and Eve in his image, and then he breathed the spirit of life into them. The major thing that separated Adam and Eve from the whales and the baboons was that image of God and the spirit of life that he had breathed into them. And though that spirit was marred by their and our rebellion and sin, the human spirit is still an amazing thing. Listen to what the Bible says can happen in the human spirit. Genesis 41 says that Pharaoh's spirit was troubled. Genesis 45 says that Jacob's spirit was revived. Numbers tells us that Caleb had a different spirit. We read about a sullen spirit, an anguished spirit, a broken spirit, and a crushed spirit. People can have willing spirits, faint spirits, humble spirits, and cool spirits. Proverbs tells us that people's spirits ponder and can sometimes be uncontrolled. There are patient spirits, grieved spirits, and steadfast spirits. And Daniel was described as having an extraordinary spirit. That'd be a great thing for the Lord to say about him. Yeah, he's got an extraordinary spirit. See, that's just a small sampling of what the Bible has to say about the human spirit. The human spirit is complex and it's wonderful, sometimes uh, very creative, but oftentimes going pretty dark. We need to be able to differentiate between our wonderfully creative ideas, which can often have some broken elements to them, and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. So how are we going to do that? Well, the Holy Spirit comes to us with a gift, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And sometimes that helps us to distinguish between our own spirit and his spirit. But there are some other spirits out there too. Satan was an angel who rebelled and fell. And when he fell, he took a third of the angels with him. They make up what the Bible calls evil spirits, unclean spirits, or demons. So how many demons are there? Well, Revelation 5.11 tells us that there are myriads of myriads of angels worshiping around the throne. How many is a myriad? Well, a myriad is a very large indeterminate number. <laughs> it's kind of like saying gazillions of gazillions. Um, there were a whole lot of angels that didn't fall, and there was a large number of angels that did. And those that fell are now focused, along with Satan, on killing, stealing, and destroying. So will it really be that hard to recognize them, though? Uh, 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen tells us that Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, he looks good. His ideas, 
they sound pretty good. So if he disguises himself, how are we going to be able to recognize him? Well, God gives us the spirit of distinguishing between spirits. For the church in the West, and especially in America, the problem goes even deeper than this. We're not even really convinced that we're in a fight against principalities and powers. Uh, we think it's progressives versus conservatives. Um, we think it's monogamy versus however you describe our current um, constantly morphing societal lack of reality. Um, and that's where we think the battle is. We think the battle is above the table and seen, and Paul tells us that the battle is invisible below the table. It's unseen. Uh, according to the Apostle Paul, the, wall, the war that we're engaged in is with principalities, powers, and rulers of darkness that are not visible to our eyes. And it'll be hard for us to win that war if the enemy can convince us that he's not even real. See, that'll be an easy war to win. But when you read through the Gospels and you look at the miracles of Jesus, fully one-sixth of the ministry that he did was dealing with unclean spirits. Go to the book of Acts, you see the same thing. Do we honestly believe that those spirits just went away or that they have somehow decided they're going to play nice with us? See, do we believe that? Or that everything that Jesus and the early believers were doing was simply ministering to mental illness um, using some primitive methods? And if we do believe that, uh, do we actually think that people were being helped by casting something out of them with the result that a deaf and dumb man began to hear and speak and a suicidal boy who was throwing himself into the fire suddenly became normal? See, um, you know, if, if we believe that that was just a, a case of dealing with mental illness, see, that takes more faith for me to believe than the biblical account of what actually happened, you know? So, um, if we're going to be a part of fighting this war to its inevitable, victorious conclusion, we must take Scripture at face value and use this gift and all the others to engage our Father's purposes. Now, let me make a couple of practical comments about spiritual warfare. Uh, we have seen way too many Hollywood movies about people trying to fight Satan. So you have that priest or that pastor with the big silver cross that goes in. And I mean, from, from the very beginning, you know that guy's toast. He, that's, that's the end for him, you know. He's, he's like the expendable crew member on Star Trek. Uh, don't get too attached to him, because by the end of the episode, he's not going to be with us anymore, okay? But that's not reality. That's not what we see in the Bible. Um, read Scripture. Not one of those disciples ever got taken out as they cast a demon out of anyone. In Jesus' name, they administered the victory that Jesus had already won on the cross over Satan and over all his legions. And it'll be the same with us. And we don't have time this morning to go into great detail about how we wage this war, but just suffice it to say that the outcome is certain and Jesus wins. Okay, well, let's look at one other thing from chapter 12. Verse 6 reads, There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
Then down in verse 11, it reads, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So look at those words, all, everyone, and each in those verses. Walking with God is not a spectator sport. Paul was not leaving open the option that any of us would be detached observers. We're all included in this because he has gifted every one, each of us. Listen to what Paul writes about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in another of his letters. The whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. See, God has so designed the body that when each part is working properly, the body of Christ will build itself up in love. You hear that? Every part is needed. So here's the last thing to keep before us. Our Father has designed His family for every member involvement. So let me make an appeal to you. As a part of Frontline Church, if you are coming in here grabbing your metaphorical bag of popcorn and waiting for this week's entertainment to begin, let's stop that. See, let's stop it. We're not here to be entertained. A phrase that probably all of us have said at one time or another is this one. I didn't get much out of that service. I've said that. And that's the cry of a spiritual toddler. And it shows our immaturity. Okay? Paul's question to each of us would be, as a part of God's family, what did you supply today? What did you supply today? What did you contribute for the common good? And I'm not talking primarily about money here. Giving money is easy compared to putting my neighbor's good above my own and walking out real community together. Listening to the Lord and then acting on what we hear so God's family will be strengthened. We just can't afford to be like those people that Paul wrote to Timothy about that just want to have their ears tickled. Or like those people that Paul encountered um, in Athens who, um, who were just hanging out on Mars Hill to hear some new thing. See, that's not what God's calling us to. Well, back in 1 Corinthians 8, Paul had called God's people to sacrifice their liberty for the sake of their neighbor. Now, in chapter 12, he's calling us to get in the game and sacrifice for the entire family of believers, the body of Christ. Whoever you are and however you see yourself today, the truth is that you have been uniquely gifted by the Holy Spirit to express a part that will build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. Nobody gets left out of this one. It's one of the ways that we get to fulfill the great commandment with one another, to love our neighbors as ourselves. And without your part, the whole body of, of Christ hurts. See, we suffer that loss. Well, in closing, let me talk for a minute about the gospel. Jesus came preaching the gospel, which, um, which simply means good news. Big part of that good news that we have been entrusted with is the fact that when we were dead in our sin, that Jesus came um, to live the life that we were supposed to live but never did, and then to die the death that we all deserve to die. But death wasn't strong enough to hold him. And so after three days, 
He came out of the grave. He now sits at the Father's right hand. You know what he's doing there? He's praying for us. He's praying for us. See, that is really, really good news. That, that's the gospel. But sometimes I think we limit the good news to just that part of the story. Jesus has even more good news for us. He told his disciples in John chapter 16 that it was better that he go away so that then he could send the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit came, he would clothe all those disciples with power so that they could accomplish God's purposes in the earth. See, that's exactly what we've been looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Holy Spirit coming and clothing his church with power. See, that too is very good news, and it's also the gospel. Well, I know that, that those of us in this room find ourselves in, in very different places today. Some of us need what the Apostle Paul called an introduction by faith into this grace. And if you have questions about who Jesus is or, or what he is calling you to, uh, we'll have people up here that would be happy to talk with you and listen to you. Others of us um, need to stand up and supply our part. Do that which God is calling us to do so that God's family can be built up in love. Wherever you are today, the call to each of us is the same. Come and receive that which the Lord is offering to us. Well, stand with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you today that, um, that Lord, you haven't left any of us out. Lord, whether we, we see ourselves as an important part or whether we see ourselves um, as, as unimportant, doesn't really matter. The truth is that every one of us have been entrusted with a part and that without our part, um, the body will suffer. So Lord, I pray that you would, you would show us you would show us, give us the courage, Lord, to stand up and be that which you have made each of us to be. Lord, we thank you for your love and your care for us. And we just pray now that, um, that we would be able to walk in all that you've called us to walk in. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.